You're listening to a podcast from The Stage, the world's oldest and best theatre publication, thestage.co.uk. Hello, well we're just about a week into the Edinburgh Fringe. It's been three seasons in one day and no prizes for guessing which one doesn't get a look in. And the stage has already given out two Edinburgh awards, one to Liam Brennan at the Traverse for Diary of a Madman and one to Kill the Beast as an ensemble for Don't Wake the Damp. Both are very worthy winners and if you haven't already, listen to our interview with Kill the Beast in Monday's episode. Thanks as ever to our excellent sponsors Mobius for supporting this podcast. Now in a few minutes, stage critic Stuart Pringle and I discuss how you plan what to see out of you know 3200 shows uh, we give a shout out to the little community enclave of edinburgh that is forest fringe who are in their 10th year this year and we've got some edinburgh international festival recommendations for you too first up though i met with actor and writer tim carlson whose show one day moko is at gilded balloon this year it's a really thoughtful piece about homelessness and connection and the responsibility of representation and tim's from new zealand and so we talk about the logistics of bringing a show to the other side of the world i started by asking what the name one day moko means it has several meanings in maori culture which is the indigenous culture in new zealand moko means tattoo and moko can also have which is similar to a tattoo, the meaning of something which is permanent. And in making this show and looking at the content which revolves around homelessness, I was looking at a person who has a permanence on the street and how that can exist in routine. So that's where the one day comes into it. The character, Moko, the protagonist of the show, is also based on someone that I read about in a newspaper. Um, He was a character who lived on the streets in Auckland City he would travel by push bike every day and busk on the street corner on Queen Street, which is a main street that runs through Auckland. And he would play the clarinet. He had a little dog. And he would do this every day, and that was part of his routine. I know that it's partly devised. So what's the kind of balance between how scripted it is, how devised it is? I consider myself not the greatest writer, which is why a devising process, I think, suits me. So one day Moko started out doing a lot of research, and that research involved volunteering at different homeless organisations back in New Zealand. And it was through that research and through making observations around that community I began to piece together small sketches and I guess then I put those sketches up onto the floor and had a director who would every now and again visit me, give me provocations to generate content around those sketches and we would develop them. And so what do we see as an audience on stage? We meet Moko first and foremost. It's not a show about him giving a testimony as to why he's on the streets and how hard life can be. He shares stories of other people in order for us to piece together his own life which I think uh, allows us to dream a little bit more around the character of him and gets us to use our imagination a little bit more as opposed to the show telling us why he is the way he is. I think so often in my experience of learning about homelessness is that it's a complex issue and there's not often one answer so I think this show starts to create awareness around that complexity it's been important for me not to try claim I'm homeless and give a real interpretation of homelessness because I'm not homeless. I live a privileged life because I think it would alienate, ultimately alienate that community. And do you think that that message translates as you've brought it kind of to the other side of the world? Yeah, I think I can't speak to the situation here, but I know from what I've seen back home that it's, like I said, it's a complex issue. It's often overlooked. People who 
like myself even, who walk past someone on the street often don't know what to do. Do we, do we look? Do we give them money? Do we, do we engage in any kind of way? And I think that's what the show begins to look at and also gets the audience to experience is that awkwardness and actually allowing people to feel awkward in the show. I think the show will ultimately raise, like I said, awareness around the community, but also will humanise the community because I think it is a universal issue. And I think there's a moko in every city, whether he's from New Zealand, where he's from Scotland or England. It's about humanising people who are often people in society who get dehumanised. I think so, yeah, by the way we relate to them. Have you been to Edinburgh before? Have you taken work to Edinburgh before? No, I am completely fresh to Edinburgh. It's the first time. What are your expectations? Chaos, but really good chaos, I think. I think I'm expecting to see a lot of theatre and a lot of comedy and meeting lots of other artists. A lot of the time, I think my jaw is going to be dropped. <laughs> and I'm going to be uh, amazed and probably a little bit overwhelmed as to how much there is there. I'm really curious to see how the show will land. I don't really have any expectations of that. Um, the show is what it is and I stand by it. What are some of the logistics of taking a show from New Zealand to the other side of the world, to Edinburgh? Besides the, the 36 hour trip that it took me to get here, we've intentionally designed the show that it can be packed into three large suitcases. So it's quite economical in that way. We can also source props and set wherever we travel to. So it's just, it's one person performing it. Yeah. How many other people are involved in the production? Who's come with you? Uh, I have a producer, stage manager, who's also my girlfriend. So it's like a good, pleasant double whammy there. And the director who's not with us, he's um, in the States at the moment. We've been working via Skype and email. Does it mean you can just ignore his notes when you... Exactly. Yeah, it means I take notes from my girlfriend, yeah. <laughs> How expensive is it to take a show of this scale um, over to Edinburgh and where do you find that funding? We were lucky enough to get funding from Creative New Zealand, which is our National Arts Council. That's covered our airfares, um, baggage, some of our marketing. We've also fortunately struck a relationship with the Gilded Balloon where they're co-producing the show with us. So they've been really supportive around things like marketing and um, tech. We've also had to run a small pledge campaign where people can pledge money to the show and that's covered additional costs around marketing. Marketing seems to be a massive cost and accommodation as well is, is huge. Do you know yet if you're going to be out handing out flyers on the Royal Mile or have you got people to do that for you? I think we'll be doing it ourselves. Yeah, I guess it'll be baptism by fire. Yeah, so the show is interactive and I cast audience members as characters in the show there's a lot of ownership that the audience has I think over the show so it truly is different every night I'm imagining in Edinburgh people might be a bit more game for the interaction whereas back home we don't often get to experience theatre like that so I find audiences a little bit more conservative something we look at through the show is connection and the way we connect to um, someone from this community but also the way we connect to each other just on a human level without giving away too much, a lot of the beginning of the show warms people into making connection with this character, which I think brings out the awkwardness, but in a, in a beautiful, really pointed way. And people can engage 
as much or as little little as they want to. There is that horrible thing of when you're walking along the street, you, you don't want to get involved with, in a conversation with someone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, you're going yeah, somewhere yeah, exactly. or you're late for a train yeah. or whatever. And, you know, you kind of think, oh, I feel bad about it. But, you know, I'm in a rush. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what this show does is it doesn't tell people off for responding in a certain way. It simply allows people to reflect on how they might respond. We never alienate people if they don't want to play, if they don't want to interact, it's fine. And I think that moment of people maybe not wanting to react will tell them something without us having to tell them if they've done a good or bad job or if they've done the right thing because um, people often feel guilty enough as it is of not knowing what to do. And it would be awful going to a show, I think, where that just you're just getting told off and preached <laughs> to, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. And that audience interaction thing can be quite tricky unless the, you as a performer are aware that you're not wanting to alienate them and yeah. and sort of tell them off, as you say. And so presumably f- you need to be a really quick improviser as well. Mm. Mm. Uh, definitely. I've, I've had a lot of time to uh, sit in this character He's a bit like putting on some old comfortable boots. He's, he's pretty familiar. Um, and in the show as an audience member, you just can't lose. You're in, you're in good hands. Yeah. That was Tim Carlson talking about One Day Mucker, which is at Gilded Balloon at 3.45. Just a reminder that we are very grateful to Mobius for sponsoring this podcast. And as ever, their support doesn't have any bearing on the views, whether they're good or they're bad, expressed here. Now here's Stuart Pringle, and here are our top tips. There are almost 3,500 shows up in Edinburgh. Do you find that you get quite ruthless about things like location? So there's a couple of venues which aren't particularly far out of town, but perhaps for audiences are just far enough not to, not to get the footfall that some of the more central ones do. I don't... I'd say I don't get put off by venues that are outside of the fringe if there's something really exciting there, and I think going to see something distant is always is always a bit of a thrill. And the only problem with shows being far out, as far as I'm concerned, is the amount of shows it makes me sacrifice. Right, okay. and I'm there for three weeks, mm-hmm. and I know most audiences are there for less time than that. And the fact that you go and see a show that takes you an hour and a half to get to an hour and a half to get back means that you're missing at least half of your day, and that that can be a bit off-putting and right. a little bit uh, frustrating. Mm-hmm. But there are venues that I will make the effort to travel to, um, and it's just about organising your time in a way to get there. Forest Fringe, I've planned two full days to this year, and I, it's it's not that far out. It's a 20-minute walk. It's it's not like it's in... But in Edinburgh terms, that just seems like yeah, everything. It's not in Musselburgh, but it's in Leith. <laughs> and, and that, <laughs> yeah. you know, that it's going to take a while to go back and forth, so I'm just going to sit there for two days. Yeah and watch everything though. but it's the sort of place and then they're in their their 10th anniversary this year there, it's the sort of place where you can do that you can stay there for a whole day and you can see just shows throughout the day walk yeah. in and out and also it just has its own kind of community vibe to it as well which I, you know it's what it was set up for which is that you can sit there and the performers and the artists are all sitting there having coffee and yeah. talking to each other and seeing each other's shows too so you do feel like you've you've had a worthwhile experience if you do go and spend exactly and i think it's it's about the quality of curation of work at at, at venues the further out you are the better your curation needs to be basically if you're in pleasant's courtyard if you are pleasant's courtyard you really don't need to 
you know, ensure that every single show is a hit because everyone's going to be there and they'll choose what they want to see. When I go to Forest, I'm going to be spending a day there and I want to really see as much as I can. But I can trust that the curation by Ira Brand, Deborah Pearson, Andy Field is, is of a high enough quality that I can just take a punt on everything that's on that day and I will hopefully have an exciting experience. So what about shows that you don't know, you've never seen work by them before, that you're really taking a chance on that you think could be quite exciting? So um, I'm really excited to see Concrete, um, which I don't yeah. know very much about at all. And I didn't watch it at Latitude on purpose, so I could watch it at the Fringe. I'm seeing on my first night there. I know literally nothing about it, except it's got some drag. Yeah, um, I don't know anything about it either, but I know I saw Rachel Clark's uh, earlier piece a couple of years ago, which is called How to Achieve Redemption as a Scot Through the Medium of Braveheart. And it was fantastic. Great title. It's a really, really good title. It was a really good response to the Scottish referendum. And um, it ended up with a whole audience out on uh, Cowgate, reenacting one of the big battle scenes from Braveheart. Perfect. Which was just really, really good fun. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that a lot as well, yeah. International Festival. Personally, I think it looks like a fantastic lineup. Again, last year's International Festival completely blew me away, which was first year under Fergus Linehan as artistic director. Yeah. And I saw, I think the four shows I saw for the International Festival were the four best shows I saw in Edinburgh last yeah. year. This year... Is there anything you're particularly looking forward to there? I'm without a doubt going to see Monumental, um, which is the collaboration between the Holy Body Tattoo and Godspeed You Black Emperor, um, both sort of Canadian avant-garde groups. Godspeed You are one of my favourite bands. So, that's so they're a band? Cool. They're a band. They're a post-rock band. Not theatre. Not even theatre. <laughs> but but their, their shows are quite theatrical. They play incredibly long instrumental songs with uh, sort of surging dynamics and they're all a bit film scorey and they're very beautiful. And uh, watching them with uh, the Holy Body Tattoo creating something new is just going to be amazing and I'm incredibly excited about about seeing that and I think I think it's probably the show that I'm most excited about that's going to happen to me in all. See this is it's interesting because similarly there it's shows at the International Festival which really get me tingling which are really like oh my god I want to see that so uh, John Tiffany's Glass Menagerie is going up there yeah. which I just absolutely can't wait for Thomas Ostermeyer's Richard III is going up there which I'm I just have no that. idea what to expect from that Barry Humphreys Barry taking Humphreys. his Weimar Cabaret up there with yeah. Meow Meow. I might not catch... Oh, yeah, it's with Meow Meow, isn't it? Yeah. That, that might be amazing. That might be amazing. <laughs> I might try and catch that. I've left myself sort of 10 days at the end, or not 10 days, 7 days or so, in which I'm not seeing anything that I'm reviewing. I can spend the time. Um, I'll have some official duties with the stage, but I really want to spend that. So it's going up and it's getting the word of mouth and it's keeping your ear to the yeah. ground and then just filling it with the stuff that's emerged. Yeah, I just desperately want to do that a bit more this year. Last year I felt like I saw very little that I hadn't been told to see or strongly advised to see. I think that's one of the best ways of doing it, which is you organise the first few days or for how, however long you're going for and then you just, you just listen to people and talk to people in queues and talk to artists after you've seen their show and ask them what they'd recommend and that fills the rest of your calendar that's the best Definitely. way of doing it it's Definitely. just spontaneity and being able to change your plans quickly yeah, absolutely I'm, the best I'm looking at the list of shows this year and I'm going okay there are so many shows I'm so excited about seeing but some of those will let me down and some of those will be the most exciting things I've seen all fringe but there has not really been an Edinburgh fringe that I've gone to yet in which the the there hasn't been at least one or two things which came from absolutely nowhere and when that stops being the case then it's either time for me to stop going to Edinburgh or Edinburgh's gone wrong like it should be a place of constant discovery and word of mouth and it, I feel like it happens less and less and I think that's something to do with the, the economic realities of Edinburgh but I, I want I want to be told that there's a show at 3pm at Griffin Venues that I can't miss 
on, on Pain of My Life two weeks into the Fringe that I managed to cram in in the last week and it changes the way I think about theatre for the whole year. And that's it. The pace of the Fringe is so fast that some of the shows we've literally just talked about have already been reviewed by the stage's crack team, so check out our five-star review of Kill the Beast show Don't Wake the Damp, as well as The Glass Menagerie and Concrete, and loads more reviews at thestage.co.uk. We'll be back in a few days talking to Kieran Hurley about his show Heads Up. Thanks for listening. <laughs>